Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and speaks to your heart. Enjoy the message. Amen. And amen. You may be seated in the presence of our Father. This morning, I want to I want to share a word that I have in my heart. Um, I was torn between continuing the series about the God who can't. Believe me when I tell you that there is so much more to dive deep into the God that can't. Um, this morning was supposed to be a third installment, um, but as I was getting things ready, I felt I felt like I was forcing it. Um, I was trying to force things to come out a certain way that were just not agreeing with the Holy Spirit, and He kind of stopped me, and I said, "Okay, Lord, I, I wanna I wanna make sure that I'm faithful to what You're wanting to say, and I, I don't want to do something just because, you know, I think that I'm right." So He kind of shifted gears on me, um, but there's many more things about the God that can't that I I uh, plan to be sharing. In other instances, when we, uh, whenever the Lord d- decides to speak through me again, oh. <laughs> oh, man, I'm telling you, there's something. Whew. Whenever the Lord decides to uh, speak through me again, we're gonna continue about the God I can't. But this morning. I want to give you an instruction. I feel like the Holy Spirit placed in me an instruction, um, not, not, not so much a sermon, but more so of an instruction, and it's this. He tells us today to step over fear. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, step over fear this morning. Tell him, step over fear, step over fear, step over fear. Now, Fear. We know what it is. It's that thing that makes us not do something. To put it in very simple terms, fear is the thing, everyone say the thing, that makes us not do something. But see, we, we tend to give, to give excuses as to why we don't do it. Oh, it's just, I, I just can't. Why not? I don't have the time to. I'm too busy. You know what? That's just not for me. You know what? I'm not like that. You know what? I, oh, I forgot. But to sum it up in simple terms, we're just afraid. Why don't you tithe, you know, your 10%? You know what? I'm trying to. I'm really, I'm trying to just, you know, reorganize my finances, but I'm going to. I, I promise you I will. Six months later, hey, I have, you know, have, how's tithing been going? You know, I'm trying to, and I'm, I just haven't figured it out yet. It's fear. What if I don't have enough? Hey, why don't you, you know, show up to a prayer meeting? Or why don't you go up for prayer? You know what? You know, you know I, I just didn't feel led. <laughs> it's fear of opening up our hearts. Fear is the thing that doesn't let us do something. It's the thing that gets in the way. So we know what fear is. We've all experienced fear before, right? So what does fear do exactly? Besides not let us do something, it paralyzes us. Fear is a paralyzing agent. 
And what does it mean to be paralyzed? It's the inability to move due to injury. When we are hurt, when we're wounded, when we experience a moment of discomfort, if our heart goes unchecked, we experience a wound and then it paralyzes us. We no longer want to move because we're afraid of it happening again. When a woman experiences hardship and heartbreak through adultery or a man, a man experiences pain through adultery, you know, the wife was unfaithful or the husband was unfaithful, you tell me how easy it is for them to dive right back into another marriage. Most of the time it takes years or it simply doesn't happen. Because after so long, the wound is so fresh and so big that you no longer take the step out in opening your heart to someone like that again. But that's what paralysis is, the inability to move due to injury. And and a lot of people within the church today are injured. That's why they don't move. Inside, they're dealing with so much resentment and struggle and pain and suffering. And the pastor says, all those who are experiencing pain, suffering, resentment, unforgiveness, come because the Holy Spirit is healing this morning. And you watch them like this. And they watch people come up. And they just sit there. Oh, I'm fine. Because paralysis makes you numb. When you're paralyzed in your legs, you can smack your legs around. You, can, you don't feel anything. Now, I've only felt paralyzed once in my life. Just once. And it is a horrible, horrible feeling. Thankfully, it wasn't because I broke my back or I broke my neck. It was because I encountered a demon of fear, face to face. I was 15, and most of you know this, but for those of you that don't, I was 15 years old, and my life of sin had gotten the attention of some demons, I guess. And I was just, I was in the middle of my addictions, in the middle of my lies, in the middle of who I pretended to be. You know, I would pray for people to be free while I was doing things in secrecy. It, it rhymes for a reason. <laughs> I would pray, Lord, set these people free of their addiction while I was feeding my addiction, which is called religion, which is called hypocrisy. And when you do that for a number of years, eventually it gets the attention of some demons. <laughs> and in that process, one night I was sleeping in my living room because my uncle was in town and he was visiting. So as the youngest, I got kicked out of my room. So Brian was too selfish to give up his. So I had to sleep in the living room, right? And I mean, I was just there one night trying to sleep, and then I noticed a figure. I noticed an outline of a man. 
And I, and I thought to myself, well, my parents' door is closed. My uncle's door is closed. Brian and Fernie wouldn't be standing in front of me for no reason. And then when I looked at that figure, as a, now it was dark, it was you know, black, the lights were off. So you tell me how, it can, how you can see a black figure in a black room. I don't know how, but that figure just grew darker and darker. And as it, as it got closer and closer, I felt my body just go numb. And I began to just shake. And I was afraid. And as I tried to say something, the only word that I could mutter in that moment, the only word that I could speak out was Jesus Because I felt like they were just strangling me. And I don't know how, but my father just barged into that living room and said, what's going on? The, the, the Holy Spirit heard. And then that moment was the turning point for me. The, the next day, June 4th, I was forced to confess my sins before my father and my mother, and they had brought some friends over to pray for for me and to, you know, have some um, some deliverance. And I prayed and I confessed Jesus to be Lord, and I was set free. But I had never forgotten how it felt to be paralyzed in that moment, to feel so hopeless. To think this is it. <laughs> this is where my life ends. And I will never forget who came to my rescue that night. I will never forget what the Father did for me that moment. Now, it wasn't that the Father wasn't with me. It was the Father was watching the devil was happy, thinking, oh, we got him. But the father was thinking, devil, you have no idea. You played right into my hand. You freaked this kid out so much that now he's crying out for Jesus. And I can't deny myself. If someone cries out to my son, I'm going to respond in a moment's notice. <laughs> the moment that we realize our true need for Jesus is the moment that we can finally open up for a true encounter with knowledge and revelation of who Christ is. It is only after we accept that we cannot live without Him that we can truly begin to live for Him. Many people within the church and even here, even here today, try to live for God without even knowing that they can't live without Him. They try to say, oh God, my life is yours, but they don't remember who He is throughout their week. Until you fully understand, I cannot live without my Father. I just can't. When you realize that and that reality sets in, then you can truly begin to live for Him. 
Because now you're going to know the difference between living with, without him and living with him. And when you live with him, you can live for him. Because you can represent him the right way. We have a lot of parents who go to church, and they go to church, and, you know, they go to church, and while at church, they go to church. And they're in church, going to church, while participating in church by going to church. But their kids are just completely lost. Their kids are just, whatever. I go to church because I have to. My mom makes me. Not just here. This is this church in general. I mean, I have students that they can't speak a normal conversation without dropping the F-bomb every single other word. Oh, but Wednesdays, oh, sir, I can't make the practice. Why not? Cause, oh, because I'm going to church today. Like, what? What church do you go to? Yeah, sir, I, I go to church a lot. You know, I'm, and then I, I hate when they say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I, I, I think to myself, why, why couldn't you be Catholic? Bad joke, I know, but forgive me, Father. But it's true. I think that. And I, and I tell myself, what? You call yourself a Christian and you are speaking like a sailor? What? Because, again, the reality of it is church has become a joke. Because the church is afraid. The church has become afraid to be a voice of reason in society today. Because now cancel culture is so dominant that if you say something wrong, society comes down on you like a ton of bricks. And the church, don't ask a modern pastor what they think of homosexuality. Because they, they will give you the acceptable response, homosexuality is a person that needs Jesus and we ought to love them and just pray for them and just love them. And that's great. That's, you know, that's a half truth. But we, they should be led to repentance, not just loved and loved and loved to hell. See, the modern church wants to love all people and that's half of it. The other half is loving them so much that you save them from hell. Love them enough to lead them to repentance. Love somebody enough to lead them to the Father's arms, not into the devil's embrace. But modern church says, just love them. Don't judge them. The Bible says only God can judge me. <laughs> Believe me, you don't want that judgment right now. Because according to that judgment, your destination is hot. You can't say that you live for God without knowing you can't live without him first. Jesus, his focus was on the Father, and he emphasized to his disciples to not only live for the Father, but he wants the Father to live through you and through me. Because when he lives through someone, the atmosphere of heaven walks with that person. When you spend time, when Oliver spends time with his grandpa, I immediately know. I just have to do this. Why? Because my, my, my dad wears cologne. And it always smells. 
And when he hugs Oliver and spends time with Oliver and he's with Oliver, and then I finally get him back, the first thing I notice is, you were with your grandpa, right? I can smell it. You can, why does he smell like him? Because he was close. He was close enough to catch the aroma. And that aroma now follows him. Can you imagine if all of us were to spend so much time with Papa, like Moses did up in the glory, and we'd all come down from our mountaintops every, every Wednesday and Sunday and Tuesday and Friday, and whenever we met, we, we would just come down. Can, can you imagine the aroma of heaven? Can you imagine the shining light from our face? We'd all, we, we, we would all just be blinded by one another because we'd be in the presence of Papa. I want you to join me in the book of Mark. Mark chapter 2 talks about a wonderful, a wonderful story that involves a paralytic and his friends. And of course, Jesus. Mark chapter 2 and I'm going to read out of the uh, American Standard Version. Mark chapter 2, when you're ready, say, I'm ready. It says this in verse 1. When he had come back to Capernaum, several days afterward, he meaning Jesus, it was heard that he was where? At home. And many were gathered together so that there was no longer room, not even near the door. And he was speaking the word to them. Now, when I read that, I had to go back and I did like a double take, like a what? Because it says that he was speaking the word to them. And I I just thought it was funny because the word is speaking the word. (laughs) The word was speaking himself to them. That's why there were so many people. Because when you speak a word that is real in your life, you can't, it it just draws people. Authenticity will always draw people closer to the Father. So if you are struggling with drawing people closer, check the authenticity of the words you're using. Because the word will always draw people close. So Jesus was speaking the word. The word was speaking himself to them. He was firsthand experience. He was telling them all about himself. Now you may think, oh, that's, that's kind of selfish. In the, in the beginning <laughs> was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. And the word was speaking the word to them. So he was speaking about himself to them. And that authenticity, that genuine love, that genuine react, that truth was just drawing people in closer and closer. He spoke of him to them. (laughs) And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they left. 
And being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they waited outside for room. They removed the roof above him. Hold up. Whose house is this? It's not theirs. Hold up. How'd they get a paralytic on the roof? Hold up. How'd they get through the roof to begin with? Ah, it says, when they had dug, somebody say dug, an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. Hold up. They carried a paralytic. Somebody carried him. There was four guys. One of them did it, or all of them. Put this guy on the roof. They, they got shovels from somewhere, or they simply just used their hands or something to dig a hole big enough to fit a grown man with a pallet under him or a base. Now, the Bible doesn't say Jesus stopped because he was interrupted. So think of it this way. You know how sometimes here we're preaching, whatever, we're doing our thing, and then a baby cries, and what does everybody do? Everyone looks at that poor mom trying to quiet the baby like, oh, gosh, stop, 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 please, 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 please. Right? We, we, we all do it. We all do it. And we're just like, oh, when somebody's cell phone rings and we're just with, with, with the eyes of love. Heresy, right? Which, I mean, your phones should be on silent as, you know, they should be on silent. But now, now get this, right? If somebody wants to start making a hole in our ceiling, I'm pretty sure we would notice. And just all of the crazy noise that it would take to break through the ceiling that we have in front of, on, on top of us. Now we have these men, these guys that are digging a hole in somebody else's house, never asked for permission. They just showed up and they said, we got to get this guy to Jesus. We got to somehow figure out a way. There's no more room. We were late because we're carrying somebody. Let's just go on the roof. Oh, the roof is closed. Let's, let's make a hole. But see, it... I never see where Jesus was bothered that they made a disturbance. <laughs> and it says in verse 5, after they made the hole and they lowered the pallet, and Jesus, angry at their disturbance, he said, how dare you disrupt my sermon? <laughs> That's something I would say probably if I'm being honest. Like, how dare you? I'm flowing in the spirit and you're causing a disturbance. <laughs> I wish we would get disturbed like that. I wish some crazy desperate people would just start kicking the door like, help, we need some, this, guy's, this, this guy has a broken back. Any, can anybody come in? Help, help. And we just stop our service and start to manifest Father's love. Would that be amazing? Verse 5 says, And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, 
he, he, he doesn't speak to his condition. He doesn't speak to who he is in the flesh. He immediately sits him. Gives him an identity. Remember the woman with the issue of blood? Daughter. <laughs> Son. Because <laughs> notice it's a capital S. Son, your sins are forgiven. And then this is, this is what I love. Verse 6. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? <laughs> God just did. But see, they, didn't, they don't know who the word is. They, don't, they know about the word, but they don't know the word. They didn't know the word was speaking the word to them. And immediately Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, why are you reasoning about these things in your heart? Which is easier to say, paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and pick up your pallet and walk. But so that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. I love this about Jesus. He says, since y'all are just too concerned about the rules and regulations, I'm about to just shatter your whole world. And almost like, like a challenge, he says, he turns to the, to the, to the paralytic. In verse 11, he says, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. First, he says, son... Your sins are forgiven. And then he says, get up. Go home. And in other words, do something that you couldn't do before. And it's funny that these scribes were so concerned, and I, I haven't even gotten into it, and I'm taking a little too long, but it's okay. These scribes were so concerned about the technicality of only God can forgive sins. Well, that is true. But here's the thing. If God has sons and daughters and he says, I want you to do what I do. I want you to be like me. Jesus, being the Son of God, was able to forgive sins. Jesus sits us in the place of sonship, saying that we are now sons and daughters like him to the Father. Does that mean that we can forgive sins? Well, I see people like, what do I say, yes or no? <laughs> if you are a son... If you are a daughter and somebody comes to you saying, I've sinned too much, I've done too much, I'm not worthy, are you going to tell them, well, you, you, you got to talk to him, sorry. Is that going to be your response? Or are you going to embrace him and say, hey, so was I, but you've been forgiven by Father. How can you say that? Because I'm a son. You're a daughter. And if... Jesus walked the earth forgiving the sins because he was doing it on behalf of who? The Father. 
So I can stand up here and pray for someone's need, for someone who needs forgiveness, and I can say, go, Father forgives you. I'm not speaking from Kevin Gamas. I'm speaking from the Son of God. I represent my Father. And Father would never see a sick person and say, go away. He would always say, I can heal you. Go. Sin no more. Son, daughter, get up and walk. But see, here's the thing. The church has no longer promoted the reality of what it can do. But in fact, the church is now promoting what society says it can do. The modern church is governed by what society says it's allowed to do. You don't have a fall festival at your church? You must not love people. You must, you must be one of those sacrilegious churches. <laughs> you don't have a Christmas program? Mm, and you call yourself a Christian? What do you mean you don't have an Easter egg hunt? What, what do you do for the children? Well, not give them delusions of hunting eggs. Because again, society now tells the church what it's allowed to do. Society now tells the church what it can't and can't preach about. Don't preach about or don't preach against homosexuality or, or, or trans people or anybody from the alphabet community or you're going to get canceled. Okay, cancel me. <laughs> But again, the modern church is afraid. The modern church doesn't, and I, I can go on and on and on and on and on. But be mindful of leaders who call themselves leaders or pastors or whatever title that they can come up with for, for, for themselves. Be mindful of those that promote certain things and call themselves leaders. Sometimes I think they're more like wolves in sheep's clothing. But I digress. Because if not, we're not going to leave today on time. Mark chapter 2, we see that Jesus is, sur is surrounded by an insane amount of people. As usual, he was thronged again. And he's teaching, he's preaching. But then we see these four men. Now, there had to be something inside of these four guys that was not usual. Because these four guys decided to do something that is very uncommon. They chose to carry a paralyzed man from wherever he was to wherever Jesus was. Now, the scripture doesn't tell us how far they traveled. But I want, I just want one of these days, just put Danny on your back and go from here all the way to Chick-fil-A and back and let's see if you want to do it again. Or Ethan, if you, you know, if you want a little bit of a lighter workout. There was no indication either 
that the paralyzed man even wanted to go see Jesus. Scripture doesn't say, and the paralytic said, take me to Jesus. It just says these four guys were carrying him. Now, the guy's paralyzed, so there's not much he can do. Poor guy, right? Being taken against his will. (laughs) Often we get too prideful when we are paralyzed and living in fear by sin, and we don't dare ask for help. We're so afraid of what they will say, of what will happen, of what they will do, that we simply just live in our filth because we are paralyzed. We're afraid to ask for help. How many of you in this moment need help with something? Leave your, your, your hand up. So there's people in need, right? There's a lot of people in need in this room. That's great. How many times have you asked for help? You, you see what I mean? Silence. Our pride and our fear is a ticking time bomb for paralysis. Eventually, you will get accustomed to not asking for help, thus creating a division between you and the Father. If you cannot ask for help here, there is no way that you will ask for help there. But it's something, you know, it's not something so important. You know, I can figure it out. If you could have, you would have. Somebody could have already had the response or the solution. All you had to do was ask. All you had to do was drop your pride, move in faith, and ask. You do not have because you don't ask. And where is that found? In the Word. Thank you, honey. I can see clearly now. Now, these four friends found a way to Jesus when there was no physical way to get to him. Because faith enables you to see a way to the Father regardless of what's happening around you. Now, you may think, wasn't that contradictory to what you told us last week? No. This is the difference. In that moment, those four guys had the ability to do something about the problem. Between Moses and Pharaoh, there was was nothing Moses could have done about the problem, which was the sea behind them. That required God to break the law of nature or to simply go above the law of nature, which was to use the winds to lift up the sea, dry out the land, and hold up the ocean to cause two gigantic walls of water and have them walk across. The other option, on this side with these four guys, they were four healthy guys carrying one paralytic. 
And often we're so lazy, and I say we because I'm including myself, we're so lazy that we want God to do every little ounce of effort for us. But see, when it deals with breaking the natural law of man, God won't intervene. Why? Because that's your part. When we do what, we, what we're called to do, God will handle the things that are above your pay grade. When it involves moving mountains, only faith can do that. When it involves carrying a broken friend, you can do that. How, how do I do it? By doing it. Taking the step. Now, these four guys found a way. Why? Because the way was waiting for them. It wasn't an impossible situation. There wasn't this pillar of fire covering Christ. It was just people and a roof. Thank you. The roof was not metal. It was most likely hardened mud, dirt. So they were able to dig through it. It wasn't stone because there was no way to get through stone with, an, with a shovel. Now, this is what I love about these four guys. And these are three characteristics that I want to give you. Three stepping stones that I want to deposit in you that will enable you to step over fear. Everyone say step over fear. And then take a step. Because at the end of today... If you don't step, that's on you. I release myself of all responsibility after this message. Because what you can do for yourself, you're supposed to. What you can't do because it requires the natural laws of earth, gravity, elements, nature, that's God's department. You gotta you 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 gotta call him up, not me. I I can't say, Lord, stop the sun from moving, and then say, Wendy, go go and stop the sun. It doesn't work that way. But if you pray a sun standstill prayer that 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 involves faith, God will say, I'm gonna stop the sun because I'm not bound by time. I created time. Time responds to me. But see, we, 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 we want God to do it all. We, God, wake me up tomorrow so I can go to work. If you don't do it, I'm not going. And then you wonder why you can't keep a job or get promoted or can't get a raise. I saw a video. I saw a video of this woman who was telling this guy, man, she was saying, I was fired from my cashier job. And she was trying to use the race cards. I mean, it's, I'm black and this and that. And the guy was like, well, why, did, why were you fired? I mean, I was late every day, but I mean, it's still, it's unfair. And the guy was like, hold up. You were late every day. And then he noticed that she had fresh, you know, long nails, brand new nails. And he was like, hold up. How'd you get your nails done? And she was kind of like, with the unemployment money. Oh, so you're lazy to go to work. And then you're upset at the system for oppressing you because you're black. No, it's not because you're black. It's because you're lazy. 
You want everybody to do everything for you. You don't want to move a muscle, but you want to reap the benefit. And I promised myself I wasn't going to get political, so I'm not. But go vote if you haven't voted. Election closes November 8th. I voted on Friday, and man, did it feel so good to just go in your face, in your face, in your face. Uh, uh. B-E-T-O? No, sir. Mm, I bet all the way. Just, it just felt real good. So no, November 8th is the last day to vote. If you haven't already done so, please, if you can and able to, do your civic duty. Go and vote. You can't complain about the laws of this country if you, if you don't do your part. If you can do it, then you can complain, okay? Now, going back to the message. Pastor, stay focused, Pastor. We're on, we're on a clock here. We're on a clock. I'm sorry. You're right. You're right. Four, three overall stepping stones that you need to utilize, that it is inevitable. If you use these stepping stones, you will learn to step over that thing that causes you to not do something. You will learn to take the step over fear, and you will no longer have to deal with I can't, I don't want to, it makes me feel... Eventually you get used to overcoming fear. And you transition to walking in faith. Because walking in faith means stepping over fear. The first characteristic of a son or a daughter that steps over fear is that they remove whatever is in the way. The verse says that they removed the roof, the roof above him. And this is, the, this is what I want to get at. Do not get too attached to the things of people, to things or people you already know are in your way. You all have re- relationships the, the same way that I do that we know produce no value in our spiritual life. That friend, that buddy, that person that you don't even try to invest any time or faith into because you already know that their mission in life is just to do everything contrary. When you learn to say, Lord, prune me, remove whatever needs to be removed from me, and you learn to let go of certain things that the Lord says, let go or you're going to get destroyed. Be that a relationship. Be that a friendship. Be that a family member. Be that an employment. Now, <laughs> it doesn't mean that you do it foolishly. There are ways in that, that you leave an employment. You don't just say, all right, Monday morning, you kick the door open. All right, listen up, I quit. Ha, 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 all of you, I'm out of here. And you leave, and it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Do you have another job lined up already? You got bills coming in this week. What are you going to do? But I, I moved out in faith. No, you were arrogant about it. That's not faith. But God will always show you, if you ask him to prune you, he will do it. If you ask him, show me the one thing I know I need to cut, Lord, show me. He is faithful to show you what it is. And if you can sum up enough boldness to say, Lord, chop it. Cut it. I don't want that one thing holding me back. 
from reaching to your hand. You will see the Lord go, wow, chop it. But then you will also see him sow. Pruning keeps a plant healthy. Pruning is what keeps it green and producing. You don't prune, you die. Because rot and death spread. You want to know why it's hard for some of you to give that extra step, to give that extra motion? Because you haven't been pruned. You're hanging around the same thing, doing the same stuff. You've cut nothing out of your life. Everything is the same, but yet you're, ex you're expecting God to do new things where everything is dead, where the soil is dried up, where you haven't watered. You haven't even sown new seeds. You haven't sown new seeds. You haven't sown new seeds. <laughs> but you want to reap the harvest. You want to reap the benefit. It, it, it doesn't work that way. Am I asking for your money? No. I'm not asking for your money. The Father's asking for your money. And, it, and if you think he's asking for 10%, oh, man. You, how, how many of you think God asks you for 10%? God says, 10%, yeah, give me 10%. That's, that's what I want you to give me, but I want to own all you have. I want to be the owner of your bank account. But Lord, I, I, have 10, I only have $10,000 to my name. Yeah, I want you to give it. But Lord, yeah, I want you to give it. That makes no sense. I know. Mathematics does, doesn't make sense. In, my math doesn't add up in your math. You give 10000 and two days later, why do I have 50000 in my account? You want to, to reap new? You've got to sow new. And I'm not just talking about finances. That's one side to it. You want new relationships? You've got to sow you got to sow yourself into people. You want to establish a connection, a heart-to-heart -heart connection? you got to sow your time into a person. Yeah. Intentional time. Parents with teenagers, I will never get tired of saying this. Be intentional with your children. They know when you're there, not wanting to be there. Believe me when I tell you, they know when you're just there, to make, yourself, oh, to make yourself feel better. And I say that for me. For the, the first stepping stone to thrust you over fear is to remove whatever is in the way. When you learn to burn the bridges that you need to burn, it helps you to not have to look back. The second thing, is the, the second stone or the second characteristic is making an opening where there is none. Faith enables you to see where there is no way. And we, and we mentioned that last week, that the Father tells us that my ways are not your ways. Jesus reiterates that I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. 
But sometimes you're going to have to force a way versus waiting for a way to open up. Pastor, you're contradicting yourself. No, I am not. I'm telling you, the laws of nature apply to Papa. The laws of man apply to you and me. When your tire goes flat, like one day, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm, I'm going to say it. <laughs> I typically, when, when we had two cars, Wendy wouldn't drive mine. I, my car was my car. But one day she was like, can I, can I drive your car? And I'm like, fine, go ahead, right? <laughs> Ten minutes later, I get a phone call, Kevin, you have a flat tire. I'm thinking, oh, my. Out of four years of driving that car, never had a flat tire, never nothing, I gave it to my wife for 10 minutes. Flat tire. <sighs> Lord, help me. <laughs> it wasn't her fault. She drove over a nail. It happens to anybody, right? But this is... <laughs> Sarah, stop it. Behave. But this is, th- this is what I'm getting at. She could have said, oh, Heavenly Father, in this moment, cause the air of the winds from the north to the south, east and west, fill up this tire again. Let the problem heal itself now in Jesus' name. And God's like, what are you talking about? Call your husband. He can change a tire. So, what it, so she called me up and said, I have a flat tire. So I said, look, that's fine. Just I'll go and I'll, I'll fix it. So I drove over there. I got to my car and I looked at it like, <laughs> and then I opened up the back. I got the stuff. I changed out the tire. I put the spare tire in there. And, you know, she, she left home. And I, a couple of days later, I took it to a tire shop. They fixed the tire. They put it back on and all was fine. When did I have to pray about that? When did I have to lay my hands on my car and say, be healed? No, I'm a man. I should know how to change a tire. Ladies, if you don't know how to change a tire, it might be a good idea to learn. But if you have a husband, they should know. Manhood 101, learning to change a tire. Ask any, ask any father over the age of 40 and they'll tell you, oh, we better know how to change a tire. But here's the thing. That was the law of man. It required no intervention. It simply required a wife to phone her husband. The expectation was, if I don't know how, I'm going to figure it out. But see, even in those little things, we say, God, where are you? Do something about it. Now, it would have been a whole other thing where if she's driving somewhere and, you know, the tire goes flat and for some reason, you know, there's no spare in the back, there's no tools in the back, her, her phone has no service, you know, her phone battery dies and she's stranded and then randomly she says, okay, Lord, I don't know what to do. I, I, I have no way. I'm in the middle of no, what do I do, Father? And then randomly some magical thing happens and her brother is driving on the opposite side of the road and says, wait a minute, that's my sister. Let me turn around and help her. That is God. When there's nothing you can possibly do, 
And everything that would have normally worked for you is out of commission when it requires faith. God steps in. But see, we rely so much on that that we forget that it's our job to do what we can. And these four guys, the first thing they did was, we're going to dig up a hole in somebody else's house. Then we're going to open it up. We're, we're going to ensure that we make an opening. Now, these guys could have made the hole and the wall. They could have just used the wall for crying out loud. But see, the Bible says that it was so packed. Now, people don't pack a room going up, right? They pack a room sideways. So they said, the only way for us to go is up. So they found where the way was going to come. Then they made an opening. God will not do something for you that you can do for yourself. Do not be deceived, church. The modern church is lazy. The modern church wants God to do everything for it without it ever having an ounce of responsibility. God is not looking for a lazy church. He is looking for a bride that is fearless. For a bride that is not afraid to step over. God has given you strength to break down barriers that the enemy has placed before you. You're not this helpless person. You're not this just weak old person. No, you have been called. And because you have been called, you've been instilled something that enables you to speak with authority, to lay hands, and to do something about something. But the modern church, again, is, you're fine. God's going to get you through it. Amen. Okay, amen. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Amen. And we go home. But see, that's not what I see here. I don't see Jesus just telling people, it's okay. It's, oh, man. It, it, it just bothers me when I see when I see these videos of these preachers just shouting at the top of their lungs, God will do it all for you. All you have to do is sign your checkbook over to the church. I'm thinking that's manipulation. God's going to do miracles in your life. All you have to do is just come to our service. You don't have to do anything else. Just show up and go. What do you mean? You have to believe. <laughs> you don't believe nothing's ever going to happen. The devil will make you think that you're being patient when you're actually procrastinating. You think, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait on the Lord. Sorry, sorry, Holy Spirit, I'm going to move you real quick. Okay, I'm going to wait on the Lord. I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. And the, the Lord says, okay, go over there. I want you to move over there. Okay, Lord. Okay, I got you. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. And we're waiting. God's already given us an instruction. Oh, but I'm waiting on the Lord. 
go, go to a restaurant. And, and how would you like if your waiter was to wait on you in the break room? They haven't even called our drinks. Well, he's waiting for you. Because that's what a waiter does, right? They come and they wait on you. What do you want to order? Oh, I want to order this and these drinks. And, that. and then what, what are they doing consistently? Going back and forth. There's a job they're supposed to be doing that is to wait on you. If you need something, they're there. But see, people think waiting is... No. When you wait, when you're waiting on the Lord, when you're supposed to be doing something, let's, let's reunite the Godhead. I don't want to get burned alive. I'm just kidding. It's, it's a joke, church. Relax. <laughs> I'm not going to get burned alive. But I am burning on the inside. Is anybody else burning on the inside? Because I'm like, I'm burning on the inside. I don't know about you guys. But don't let the devil make you think that you're waiting on the Lord when you're actually just procrastinating on what he's called you to be doing. If you're supposed to be doing something, don't do nothing. Because that's what religion tells you to do. Don't do nothing. God's going to do it for you. <laughs> Procrastination is not a fruit of the Spirit, church. Patience is. That's a good one. And I received that for myself. Don't let the devil fool you, church. Don't wait for tomorrow. Don't wait for next week. Don't wait even for this afternoon. If you're supposed to do it, then you're supposed to do it now. Today, in this moment, right now, that is when you're supposed to do it. So everyone say, do it now. Tell your neighbor, do it now. If you've been thinking of a, of a seed to sow, of an action to do, of something that you're supposed to be doing, do it now. Everyone say, do it now. You're designed to do it in that moment. You think Jesus... <laughs> The Father sends the Son to die on the cross, and Jesus says, okay, I think I'll do it next week. I, don't, I just don't feel like getting whipped today. Uh, I don't know. I just, it's going to hurt, and I don't want to deal with that. I just kind of want to, you know, relax. I want to go for another boat ride or something. <laughs> Jesus says, I do nothing if not my Father's will. When he says go, I go. When he says, pray, I pray. When he says, heal, I heal. When he says, speak, I speak. I do nothing without the Father's approval. The third characteristic, or the third stone, stepping stone, tends to be what really hinders people from actually stepping over. The first two, you can do it with just 20 seconds of courage. You know what, like in, 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 in the movie, We Bought a Zoo, all it takes is 20 seconds of courage. The first two steps are easy. Okay, one, two, three, just boom, boom. And, and, and with, with enough motivation, you can get to it, and you'll be there. But this next, stepping this next stepping stone is the one that will plunge you over fear or into it. You have to lay down what you're carrying at the feet of Jesus. 
No one person can carry the weight of sin alone but Jesus. When we learn to lay everything at the feet of Jesus is when we truly grow in our spirit and in our relationship with him. Don't allow your pride, your fear, to get in the way of laying down what is holding you back. Church, and I'm... I told myself to not cry today. But, like I mentioned months ago... Just this year, this year was a very hard year for me. Personally, a lot of things just happening that, I, that were just completely out of my control. You know, having to use credit cards to survive and having to buy food for your family just on credit because you couldn't afford it. You know, hey, you know, Oliver needs diapers. I had no money. I just put it on a credit card. What else am I going to do? Feeling hopeless, feeling, seeing the mountain of debt arising and seeing no way out and just thinking, Lord, this is, this is, this is so bad. I had never contemplated suicide before until this year. Because I saw no way out. I said, Lord, I, I messed up too much. There's no way, there's no hope for me anymore. <laughs> Hopelessness is a horrible, horrible thing. It makes you believe a lie. It makes you believe that life, you're not worth it. That's hopelessness. That's fear. That's paralysis. So when I tell you, don't allow fear to keep you from laying it at the feet of the cross. I'm telling you from a perspective of experience. It took me four and a half years to realize that my pride and ego were just manifestations of fear. And it cost me everything. It cost me stability, security, deception. I had to lie to my wife. Oh, we're fine, honey. We're fine. <laughs> now, why do you say these things? Because I don't care about my image. I don't care about your opinion of me. Oh, you're not worthy of being a pastor. I've, I never thought I was worthy enough. <laughs> but Papa thinks so, so I'm here. <laughs> the opinion of man used to be everything to me. Not anymore. Now I just think, Papa, what do you think about me? Oh, you think I'm pretty cool? Okay, that must be pretty cool. <laughs> you love me? Okay, then. I must be worthy of your... Look at, if I'm worthy of your love, then... 
amazing. <laughs> it took me four and a half years to understand that I need to lay down everything at the foot of the cross. All the resentment and frustration that I had towards my father wasn't, it just wasn't, it wasn't worth it anymore. Having re resentment towards a person does nothing but damage you. Holding unforgiveness towards a person does nothing but hurt you. And that's why this is the hardest step. It's the hardest thing for a person to have to swallow their pride and say, Father, I can't. And I remember almost every day the voice of the Lord just telling me, Kevin, are you done? Are you done? Like, you wasted four and a half years, man. Are you ready? Like, can we, can we get this show on the road now? Can we start doing what I've been wanting you to do? Can you start living the way that I want, I've, been, I've designed for you to live? Free, happy, joyful, empowered, close to me? <laughs> can, can we do that now? Can you just let go of your pride? Can you just let go of the person that you've been holding everything against? Can you just step over fear, Kevin? And I said, Lord, I don't know if I can, but I'm going to try. And um, these last four months have been insane. Because it's like someone just took my life and just went, <laughs> from owing thousands and thousands and thousands to, what, two months, being able to save thousands and thousands and thousands. Last year, I was supposed to get, like, $11,000 and just bonuses and extra work, and then one day to another, they said, oh, we're not doing that anymore, sorry. And I lost everything. <laughs> and now it's like, Lord... Forgive me for being so foolish. Thank you for saving me from my paralysis. Thank you for letting me feel you close. <laughs> because remember, church, only God can bring the dead things to life. He can't deny himself. Robin was telling me this. He was like, man, it's hard now, now, now that I know that God can't deny himself, <laughs> I can't complain as much. <laughs> because when you try to complain, but you put your complaint against truth, you're like, oh, but God can't deny himself. I don't see the evidence, but I know that he's faithful. He, he just can't deny himself. <laughs> and he doesn't break truth. And if there's one thing God can't do either is God can't fear. We'll put a pin on that one for next time. The God who can't fear and the God who can't lose. <laughs> Thank you, Papa. There is no indication that this paralytic man ever wanted to see Jesus. And I'm really behind now, but 
And I don't care. We'll let the Holy Spirit just say what he wants. There's two general schools of thought about this man and this issue. This paralytic man who Scripture never tells us, and the paralytic said, take me to Jesus. No, it just says these four guys brought him to the word. Scenario one that if you know we could look at is this guy wanted to see Jesus. And it takes a special type of faith to realize that you need others to help you get to where you need to be. To Jesus. I need, I needed my father, my 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 earthly father, to lead me to Christ. I give him credit for that. For being a man that doesn't take no for an answer. <laughs> and he helped me reach a place in my life where I can have my own faith. I'm not dependent on his, I have my own. But it took someone to lead me to where I am. It took someone to lead you to where you are. Now this first this first scenario might be where this man gathered four of his friends to carry him for God knows how far, lift them up on top of a house, and then vandalize somebody's house just because his paralytic said, hey, who cares? Just make a hole in the roof, man. Come on. And then they destroyed somebody else's house to get to Jesus. Then they lure him down and noticed that he was the only one that got to, to be in front of Jesus. These four guys don't get credit in the story (laughs) because Jesus sees their faith, right? But then he says to the paralytic, son, he didn't say, oh, y'all, you know, y'all four are also going to get some of this healing. No, no, he just, (laughs) he just speaks to the paralytic (laughs) and they rope him down and Jesus does this insane miracle in front of God knows how many people. And he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Go and walk. Go home. Pick up your pallet. Get your stuff and go. Now, these four friends did whatever was necessary to get the healing that their paralyzed friend needed. So I ask you today, church, what type of friend are we? Are we willing to go? And vandalize for the sake of somebody reaching healing, reaching salvation, reaching what you're experiencing. <laughs> I don't know why I keep laughing. I'm sorry. I, I'm telling you, there's just something like right here. The friend that does whatever it takes to ensure the healing and salvation of those around you is a friend of faith, is a friend who knows that fear is only but a stepping stone. Or are you the friend who doesn't want to go out of their way because they don't want to get in trouble? You don't want to remove roofs, so you're like, oh, I don't want to do that. (laughs) Where do you fall under are you, ready, are you ready to vandalize some houses? 
Or are you ready to just, I don't want to. I don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> Walking in faith will always get you in trouble. It's, it, it, it's inevitable. You'll always get in trouble when you're walking in faith. What do you mean? Jesus said it himself. In this world, <laughs> you will have hardship, troubles. You will be a target. Hell will fight you. What does it say? But. And what, what does it say? Fear not. <laughs> I, the only one that is able to overcome death, I, because that is a law of nature style of intervention from the Father. So because if you can fear not, which is something you can control, right, because we choose what, what, what we allow our, our heart to, to fill up with, as we learned on Friday morning prayer, we choose what our heart feels and what it fills up with. So we can determine and we can dictate, am I going to fear or not? That's my choice. And if my faith is solidified on the grounds of the word, <laughs> everything else is God-level action. I have overcome the world. Everything that you're going to struggle with, fear not. I'm telling you now, you're going to have trouble. I'm telling you now, you're going to struggle. I'm telling you now, Sarah, it's going to feel like your marriage is in a whirlwind, girl. I'm telling you, you're going to experience hardship. But your job, fear not. Fear not. I have overcome the world. I'm the God that can't lose. <laughs> I am the God that can't lose. The other scenario would be that this man refused. He didn't want Jesus. I don't want this. I like being a beggar. I get free money from people that walk down the road. I'm good with this lifestyle. I'm fine with my incurable disease. I'm fine with my condition. I don't need help. It's almost like God saw my life and said, you know what? You're going to portray the paralytic man, the one that doesn't want help. I'm, I'm fine like this. I can make it work. The second scenario would be that this paralytic was arrogant and refused to come to Jesus because he believed that he was incurable. Anybody think that they're incurable? I don't want to see. Because let me remind you that God, the Father, our Father, is still doing miracles today. There, there is no exception. The miraculous working power of the Father is still active today. How do I know that? Because you and I are still active today. If God was not in the, in the works of doing miracles, a lot of us would still be in worse conditions than we were 
we, than we, we would be. Daniel wouldn't be here. He'd still be up in the rigs. God knows where. Sarah would be stuck in a bottle. God knows where. William probably wouldn't be here either. Julie would have been a broken mess. Did I go on? Wendy would have never crossed the border and stayed with her ex-boyfriend of... Exactly. The disapproval of the older brother. See, without it, we would not be here. Christian would not be married to Brenda. And Brenda would be lost, alone. Probably still on housing. Living off of the government. But now she gets to live at home with her baby because she has a husband that loves her who took a dangerous step, pulled her from work like Brian did as well and said, we're going to take a step of faith. If, if, if we're wrong, Lord, I'd rather make a wrong step in faith than a step in fear because a wrong step in faith will somehow lead you closer to the Father. Even if, even if it's wrong, if it's in faith, God makes up the difference because he's that good. <laughs> he's that good. He's, he's just that good. So you're saying that I can still mess up in faith? Hey, maybe you were emotional and you sold somebody $1,000 when you weren't supposed to, but you did it in faith. God says, hey, it's, it's okay. I, I can make it work. You, you, you recklessly trusted in me. I'm not, why would God punish for trusting in him? So if anybody wants to make that reckless donation, we're going to open up the baskets here. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. No, 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 we're not doing that. <laughs> we're not doing that, we're not doing that, we're not doing that. No, I'm kidding, no, 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 no. <laughs> but here's the thing. God is still doing miracles. Because I know for a fact that nothing is too paralyzed, nothing is too dead that it can't simply walk again. There are examples in Scripture of the paralytics standing and walking. There is an example in John chapter 11 where Jesus tells this dead guy, Hey, Lazarus, come on, buddy. Your, work ain't, your, your mission was to die and be born again and, and to resurrect <laughs> Lazarus didn't agree to that plan. You think he was like, yeah, I'm, I, I am horribly sick for the glory of God. <laughs> he didn't agree to it. But look at the outcome of his life. There is nothing that can't be restored. There is no sin that is too dirty that it can't be cleaned because the blood of Jesus is the only blood that can wash all sin away and make all things new. And there are some of you today here in church this morning that are in desperate need for a miracle. You need God, you need the Father to restore something, to bring something back to walking condition. And, and He's here to do it. Don't let pride keep you from walking. Don't let pride be the reason why you still have to drag yourself around. 
just because you're not willing to say, I need help. Allow Jesus to remove your paralysis so you can finally walk in love. You can't walk in love paralyzed. You can't walk in love while being afraid. How do I know this? Well, to walk in love means to walk in power. What do you mean? First John four eight. First John chapter four verse eighteen says, "There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out all fear." So here's the thing: you you want to know why the love of God is so has been so cliched and has been made into this ball of just. It's overly used in the Christian community. You want to know why the the devil tenaciously worked in that area? Because he knows that love is the power. Because when you love and you know you are loved, you're stepping over fear becomes like second nature. Because when you know you're loved, you know who has your back. You know who is going to respond in a moment's notice. So, you don't, so you're not afraid of what could happen. You're only concerned on what the Father's going to do. Because if, you were, if, if you're filled with love, you're filled with power. Because when you're filled with power, you are removed of fear. And the fear is the power of the devil. So when you're filled with love or filled with power, the devil becomes powerless. So therefore, when he's... Going around you, like it says in the book of James, where he's just waiting for, for, for a moment's notice to where you fear again, but you just resist in love. Resist the devil. In other words, resist a powerless, a powerless enemy. <laughs> because you're filled with power. You're filled with love. And that gigantic devil that used to scare you, when you're filled with love, you see it as that annoying little chihuahua. And you're thinking, what do I have to fear? I've read the end of scripture. I know where he's going to end up. So I'm just going to be still and I'm going to find out who God is. He's a God that can't deny himself. He's a God that can't break truth. He is a God that doesn't fear, and he's a God that doesn't lose. Next thing you know, you're Chihuahua's gone. And when you draw near to him, what does he do? He, draw, he draws near to you. Oh, man, a lot of you need to draw in. Love is God's power. Fear is the devil's. You take away the fear, you take away his power. The enemy can't, can no longer bully you. He can't push you around when you are walking and you are in love. Not, not just in love, but when you are in love. You know, when you're in love, you, everything the person does is cute and adorable. Right? When you're in love. But when you're in love, there's nothing you wouldn't do for them. When you walk in love, there's nothing that you can't do. Because love is power. Love is what caused death to lose. Love is what caused Christ to resurrect. Before you can walk in love, you must first understand how loved you are. And I think we've 
we've, we've, we've taught so much on that section, on how loved you are, that I, I think it's, we're overdue for some change. I think that it's time for you to actually start believing it because enough is enough. And I want you to turn just this last part of Scripture. I want you to read it in verse, chapter 4 of James. James chapter 4. Let me just open up this because I like this different translation. James chapter 4. Thank you, Lord. The New American Standard says this, and I love this translation. Verse 6, James chapter 4, verse 6. But he gives greater grace. What does he give? Greater grace. Kevin, you don't understand. This pain that I've had has been for years. You don't know what they did to me. You don't know how bad it felt. How can I receive grace if I've been addicted for years? I've sinned too much. I've done too much. I've said too much. I've partaken too much. I've just done everything. I'm paralyzed. I don't feel anything anymore. But let me tell you this. You can add up all the years of your addiction. You can multiply that by the number of times that you've sinned. And the verse still says, but he gives greater grace. If you're still struggling after today, understand it's a choice. When you choose to say that, I've had enough. I'm done. Are you done now? Can we get this ball rolling? Are you done playing? Are you done wasting time? Can we do this? So the Holy Spirit is telling you today, step over fear. That's it. There's no other choice. It's an instruction you're being given today. You listening, it's an instruction given today. If you're watching the video or listening in the podcast, know that it applies to you. It's an instruction wherever you're listening from. It's time to step over your fear. That's it. Moving forward. Don't move in fear. Move in faith. Take these next three days and just harass God to show you. Okay, God, everyone says you love me. All right, show me. Show me how much you love me. I want to see. Oh, everyone says you love me so much. Okay, God, show me. Yeah, he will. But when you're intentional about it, 
when you're actually saying, God, I want to see, I want to live in that reality that I am loved, you're going to start to change. Things about you are going to start to be, oof, this is, what is this? It's the exchange of love and fear. When fear exits the body, you start to see things differently. You start to perceive things differently. You start to interact with people differently. You're, you're not afraid of people anymore. Now you want to love people because you're starting to be infused with love. Your, your level of generosity begins to be like, oh, man, I'm just, I'm just giving out so much because you're being poured in. Oh, man. I'm, uh, I'm way over time now. If I keep going, I'm not going to stop. But here's the thing, church. That's it. Moving forward, fear should not be our response. But you don't understand. It's such a big problem. But I, I do understand because I have such a big father. When you measure the size of your problem to the size of your father, <laughs> this is what I was stressing over. <laughs> this Papa, I'm so sorry that I bothered you. But Papa says, it's no bother. It's, it's my pleasure. I'm Papa. I handle the problems you can't. What you think you can't handle, son, <laughs> I wrote your story. I wrote the ending of your story. Every little aspect where you thought this was a moment you were going to just get destroyed, I wrote it. I know the answer. I am the way, the truth, and the life. My ways are not your ways. Fear not, for I, the great I am, have overcome the world. Why? Because in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And that word spoke over my life, everything, and he spoke over yours. And the word was God. Let's, let's stand to our feet this morning and just close. Because if I don't close right now, I'm not going to close ever. The subject of the love of God is... <laughs> you, you, you can just go on and on and on and on. I mean... It's hard to, to stop, but I know I need to. <laughs> so, Papa, we thank you this morning for just loving us. I thank you, Papa, for your instruction today. Thank you, Lord, that you give us the strength to step over fear today. Fill us with perfect love, which is your love. With your love, Lord, we can be fearless. With your love, we can actively step over fear and no longer walk in a lie that we're not enough, that we can't do it, that we're not worth it. I thank you, Father. That the reality of your word says that I am enough. That we 
are enough. The reality of your word says that we were worth Jesus dying on the cross so we could be with you, seated right next to you. And even so, you went so further than that, not just to seat us next to you, but to place us on your bosom and just put our head to your chest. And you call that my seat. You call that our seat. Help us to be faithful and obedient to the instruction that you, give, that you gave us today, Lord. That whenever we feel fear crippling or creeping around us, that we're reminded, God, if I can do something about it, I'm going to be obedient. But if it's greater than my abilities, you're faithful. And I don't have to be afraid. Even if it doesn't add up, even if the numbers don't add up, Lord, you govern all things. And you are a good, good Father. And we rely on that word and we thank you for loving us in every moment. In the loving name that is above every name. The in, in the love of Jesus, we pray this. Amen and amen. Give the Lord some praise this morning as we close. And we're dismissed today, and we'll see you all on Wednesday. And remember to harass the Father today. Ask him, Lord, how much do you really love me? And prepare yourself. Be blessed, church.